This is Creating Windows, Not Bars, a monthly show on Justice Radio on WMPG with your hosts, Linda Small and Mackenzie Kelly. Today, we are talking with Dan Kelly of Eastern Maine Development Corporation about the challenges and opportunities for work and career for justice-impacted people after they've returned to their home communities. But first, a little bit about us. I'm Linda Small, a project coordinator with Maine Prisoner Advocacy Coalition and executive director of Reentry Sisters, an organization with a trauma-informed and gender approach to reentry support. And I'm Mackenzie Kelly, a recovery coach coordinator and peer mentor of Healthy Acadia and the program director of Reentry Sisters. For the past several months, we have worked together to provide support and community for justice-impacted women as they reunify with their families, look for work and housing, and complete their educational aspirations. Our show explores safety and community and asks what it's like for people to come home after serving time in prison. So today we're talking about the hurdles people face in transitioning from prison to productive community life. There are many hurdles to earning a living wage in Maine for people with a history of incarceration. So Dan, um, what is EMDC and what does it stand for and what do they do? So EMDC stands for Development Corporation uh, and there we do a host of things around the community through federal uh, through federal grant money. One of those things is that we are an employment service agency, so we help people who have barriers to employment uh, overcome those barriers through working with WDSs or workforce development specialists and come up with a training plan and enrollment plan to help them get back to work, however that looks like. Um, if that means that they need some training because they don't have any training to get them into the workforce, we can help them with that. We can pay for it um, and offer supportive services to help them you know, achieve that training goal and get back to full-time employment. What are those barriers and what does that look like? And if you face those barriers yourself? Absolutely. I face those barriers myself. You know, so I was incarcerated at a very young age. Um, I got locked up as soon as I had turned 18. Uh, and that closed the doors for a, a lot of opportunities. You know, I wanted to join the military. I couldn't do anything with the military as soon as I, you know, as, as soon as I had, you know, gotten these felonies. And as soon as I had gotten out, I faced a whole nother, you know, just a whole nother slew of barriers that were barriers to employment. Because anytime I went and filled out an application, came up that question, you know, have you have you been convicted of a felony, a misdemeanor, have been incarcerated? You know, I remember the first time I lied on an application and, and I remember a guy calling me and he was just like, hey, listen, uh, you know, you, you said no to this question. Like, is there anything you want to tell me? And I told him, I was just like, thought about, you know, explaining like, oh, yeah, you know, I got a, a robbery charge and a burglary and criminal threatening and like all these. And I'm just like going over it in my head while this guy's on the phone. And I'm like, OK, this either way I say it, it sounds horrible. You know what I mean? So I just I went with at the time and I was just like no and you know needless to say he never called me back and my friends were kind of like you sort of botched that one should have just been honest and I'm like well honesty looks like I'm a criminal you know what I mean so it's, it's what, what do you do in those situations that it was just a, a, a downward spiral because it seemed like the only options available out there were just crap jobs you know what I mean I did a lot of like warehouse work so I had to work completely overnight it wasn't very good wage I thought 
a good wage was $10 an hour back when, you know, minimum wage was seven seventy five. There's, you know, there's way more that we consider a sustainable living wage. And that was not it. You know, I started roofing because that was the only way I could pay my bills. They were paying me like $15 an hour, but it's like, I just, I beat my body to hell doing that job. I can definitely agree with that. When I got out of prison, I was like, oh, I've got this, no problem whatsoever, uh, because I'd had so many trainings. I had worked with MIT, and I was in college and doing all these things. But, you know, coming down to it, when I was looking at my resume, there was nothing there. I had a nine-year employment gap. And, and what do you do with that? When you're, you know, you're not in front of somebody anymore, you know, shaking their hand and being able to speak with them, you're actually just putting your, your resume online and that does not look good for me whatsoever. So, um, that was the one thing that I really struggled with and EMDC actually gave me that chance, right? Um, when you're not making any money whatsoever and you're like, listen, I just got to get my foot in the door. It doesn't even matter what it is at this point, because I actually was going up for warehouse jobs and still couldn't even get a call back, you know? So even just for me, like, I don't even have a violent crime. Um, and I was honest, like, if it was on there that, yes, I, I did have a felony or whatnot. Um, and these are the ways that I've changed my life. But I think because of like all the stigma behind somebody being in prison, um, it just looks so bad for you. Well, let me ask you this question. So do you have certain places that EMDC puts people that you work with? How exactly does that work? So EMDC has a lot of partnerships in the community. Um, and we're in, and as, as workforce development specialists, like that is our job is to be as resourceful as possible. And there's a lot of places that, you know, again, I said, we have, we, we partner with to help people overcome these barriers and put them in, you know, work experiences, as you know. So I love explaining work experiences um, to people that don't know what they are because it is such a win-win situation for all involved. Right, let's just take, for instance, like Maine Savings Bank. And I say, hey, listen, I have a person who is on my caseload. You know, I believe that they would be a really good fit for what we call a work experience. And then I would explain to them what that is and that you get to try this person out. We pay, we pay their wage. We pay their insurance. The only, the only thing that you provide is the work site. It's a win-win for all. With the work experience program, Nine times out of 10, they end up loving the individual anyway and hiring them on full time. Now, if they want to do that, we can go with what's called an on-the-job training, at which point, you know, EMDC pays half the wage, the employer pays half the wage, but then starts taking on their insurance. Well, that, that sounds like a fantastic program, Dan. I, I want to go back to a little bit about what you and Mackenzie were talking about earlier your strategy for applying for a job, right? And, and how much you divulge and how much you don't. Um, can you share a little bit about what you think is the best way, given your experience about approaching a potential employer? And how do you help somebody, if they get in front of an employer, explain that gap or explain their incarceration to their employer? They're going to want to know what you did and 
what you're doing now to better yourself and how far you've come. So, you know, for for somebody like getting directly out of prison, it's 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 definitely a challenge. Do you think that sort of divulging your story, telling them exactly what you did, but making sure that you're taking accountability, does that come into play there? Yeah, absolutely. And not everybody takes advantage of the programs offered, you know, while they're incarcerated. I was at that point in my life where I wanted to take responsibility and I wanted something different when I got out. So, I mean, like I was ready and I had a plan. Taking accountability for yourself, you know, you don't lay blame on others. But also, I mean, actions speak louder than words, too. So having, having, you know, a list of things that you've been doing since you've been out go a long ways with an employer as well. Building yourself like a, a portfolio of positive things that you've been doing. Being a part of your community also speaks volumes to, you know, like when you get released, you know, the things that you're doing out there. Thank you, Dan, for that insight. You know, Ken's talked about having this nine-year gap in her work record, right, which is a, a, a hurdle to face. So when people are just getting out, um, do you help them identify their skill sets? And if so, how do you do that? Actually match a person with some jobs you know are available? Certainly. When somebody applies to the EMDC, there's a, a, there's a slight process to it. And part of that process of enrollment is that we have them take a series of assessments. We have them take like North Star Digital Literacy. We have them take the ONET Interest Profiler and the Personality Profiler. 50 multiple choice questions. And it gives them a printout at the end of some of the skills that they would enjoy doing, some of the, you know, some of the jobs that they would enjoy doing, what their personality traits are. And we use that with another site called ONET. And we enter in all this information and it projects jobs for them that they may like. And then us as the workforce development counselor sits down with them, go over these jobs. That sounds great, Dan. We'll dig a little deeper into that in a minute. But for right now, you are listening to Creating Windows, Not Bars, Justice Radio with Linda Small and Mackenzie Kelly. Today, we are talking about the challenges formerly incarcerated people face in looking for work with Dan Kelly of Eastern Maine Development Corporation. Dan, when people get out of prison, I know they don't exactly have the greatest work histories or uh, skills for job searching. Do you actually help with resumes, cover letters, or interview skills, things like that? Absolutely. There's an interview workshop that's held every week, and it's hosted by senior workforce staff at EMDC, and they help with the interviewing process, and they'll do mock interviews and help people like really fine-tune those skills, because being in prison for a long time and then going right into an interview can kind of be scary. You know, I know personally when I interviewed for this position at EMDC, like it had been a long time since I'd actually interviewed for a position, they're round robin style asking me all these questions, you know, anywhere from my work history, like my hobbies, to my time being incarcerated. And that can be a lot, especially when you don't have an answer ready. So I myself, uh, anytime I know I'm going to interview for a position, I write down like a series of questions that I would ask and the answer to them. Uh, and as far as resume building and, res you know, and helping with resumes, I mean, that's something that EMDC has always offered, even to people who aren't enrolled in the program. The resume 
is a really strong part of a person's reentry portfolio because the days of applications are just done. When's the last time any of you heard of somebody being like, oh yeah, can I get an application? It's no, you submit a resume. On that resume has your, you know, your phone number, your address. Resumes have come a long way too because before like a resume meant like a portfolio and meant your working portfolio. So sometimes these resumes could be eight, nine, 10, 12 pages long. And that's just not what employers want. They don't want to sift through 12 pages at a glance. Just look at your work history, you know, what that looks like. And your cover letter is another very important piece to that because that really drives home how you're going to be a good fit for that position and why you want to work at that specific job. The cover letter just caters to the specific job that you're applying to. Yeah, that's a fantastic overview, um, especially when you're talking about today's job market. And I love the idea of preparing or anticipating questions ahead of time, maybe jotting some bullet points down at least to have an idea of um, how you're going to begin to answer those questions while you're on the spot, sort of in the hot seat, so to speak. Can you talk a little bit, Dan, about Maine's current job market and how that affects what you do? So, right now, there are a ton of jobs available. There are even more if you're willing to take anywhere from a three-week training to three-month training. How that affects what I do and what we do at EMDC is it drives that success home, you know, because my job is to make sure somebody is getting meaningful employment. I don't want to see somebody get a job at McDonald's. That's not what I want. I want to see somebody, you know, get the recovery coach coordinator position. I want to see somebody, you know, become an electrician. I want to see somebody like get into a position that, you know, they really feel like is a stepping stone to a really good career path. I can agree with that too. And also I think one of the biggest hurdles is just knowing that you have a place when you do get out of prison, right? What is important to me? What do I want? Because I think for, for me, I didn't know what I wanted. And uh, getting into the position that I'm in now was like, I actually feel like I have a purpose and sense of meaning, which is huge when I didn't think that I deserved that for a really long time. And I know that we've spoken a lot about it in the past about stigma that other people put on us being prisoners or drug addicts. But I think my biggest turtle almost was the stigma that I put on myself. I'm a felon. Who's going to want to hire me? I don't deserve that. And through these small challenges and victories, we start building ourselves back up and up and up until we feel like, you know what? I deserve that. That's what I want to do. And it's people like you, Deanna, EMDC, and, and Bruce, and Linda, who lift us up, show us a different way, and then almost show us a path that we can walk down ourselves. Maybe you might need a little hand-holding at first, you know, and, and that's all right. There are people out there that will help us get to where we want to be, even if sometimes we don't know where we want to be. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that. You know, for me, leaving prison was a was a big deal because all I ever knew, you know, was getting drunk, doing drugs, and just working a mediocre job that I didn't care. As long as it put food on the table, you know, I would do it. I never gave a thought to, like, what I wanted to do, what would be a good career path for me. I never thought of those things. I started thinking of those things, like, 
what do I want to do? Like, where do I see myself? I, I really got my job at EMDC by just sheer happenstance. I was recovery coaching and a friend had suggested, you know, and before, because I was part of the work experience program at EMDC. And, you know, they saw fit uh, to hire me into a full-time position. Um, you know, they liked my work ethic. They liked how I did things. And, you know, I was I was offered full-time employment, um, you know, as a, a with a counseling position. I'm very grateful to be where I'm at and helping others. Um, and that's something that I, I knew I wanted to do. Um, I didn't know how I was going to do it. But I'm a firm believer that employment in reentry is the foundation that somebody needs to become successful. And it all depends on what kind of employment, like what does that, so that's when I meet with somebody, I say like, what do you want to do? Not what do, what do you think that other people want you to be doing because it makes money for the family or your dad wants you to be a dentist or whatever. What do you want to do and where do you see yourself? That's fantastic, Dan, congratulations. Um, you're doing some really wonderful um, community service work through your own job and commitment and passion. Um, and you're, I hear you talking about, you know, not just jobs, but careers for people um, post-incarceration, which is so important in a lot of different levels for people's, you know, self-esteem and not only working a living wage, but supporting a family and also, you know, allowing people um, to be in positions of power where they're in a situation where maybe they can give the next person a leg up who is also returning right to society. So out of all of these people that you are helping, can you share with us maybe one of your greatest success stories that uh, sticks with you, somebody that you've helped in the past? Well, I certainly can't give any names due to confidentiality, but this person came leaps and bounds. He actually came to us as a work experience. And, you know, he was all over the place. Uh, you know, he wanted to be a substance abuse counselor and he wanted to go to school like yesterday and thought that he absolutely 100 percent, you know, that's what he was going to do. And, you know, once we sat down and talked with him and like, hey, you know, like, listen, uh, you know, this isn't going to be possible for you right now. Um, you know, he had some things going on in his life uh, through one of the partners, you know, that we worked with in the community. Uh, we got him a job as an electrician's helper. Um, he was on the front page of the Bangor Daily News uh, for helping me with the Green Energy Project. He's making $30 an hour, and he's just absolutely, you know, he's absolutely crushing it. So what made him change his career path? I'm wondering, just because that is a huge shift. I did. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, yeah, to go from substance abuse, you know, I mean, to to working in the electrical field, I mean, like, yeah, that's that that is a huge shift. But I could really see that with this individual, like idols, idle hands were the devil's playground. So I'm just I suggested, hey, well, you know, like while we're waiting for, you know, school stuff to go through, because we work very closely with the MEOC and it was just going to be impossible to get him into school, you know, until the fall. I, you know, I just, we threw it out there. Hey, let's get you a job. And as soon as he started working, he loved it. He loved what he was doing. His employer loved him so much that they actually put him through training to get his journeyman, which I mean, it's not, it's not overly rare, but it's, you don't see that a whole lot. So, I mean, like, that's why, you know, he really stands out to me was because he did such a fantastic job. They were willing to invest money into him uh, along with paying him a you know, uh, a successful wage, I would call at that point. I mean, you know, $30 in today's market is, is really good money. 
I don't think he understands how much like of a success he really is. You know, to him, he's just doing something he likes doing, you know, finally. And like the fact that his employer, you know, invested in him because I mean, the training was like $8,000 and they were just like, oh yeah, we'll take care of that. You know, like, we'll, we'll help you get like they, you know, they loved him as a worker and, uh, and, and he, and he soaked that up. You know what I mean? Like he, every day, you know, like I would talk to him and he would just be like, man, he's like, this job is freaking awesome. Like, you know, he's like, I'm, I'm doing all this value. Like, did they, did the employer pay for the training or did EMC, yeah. EMDC pay for the training? Well, we were going to pay for the training at first. And, you know, because, you know, it's a process with EMDC to, you know, get the funding and then get, you know, the person enrolled in the training. And, you know, his employer was like, look, I need him to be, you know, a journeyman like yesterday, like kind of like you guys are taking too long. So he's like, I paid for all of it. Don't worry. <laughs> um supportive services like you know we provided him with a laptop and you know some some clothes to go to work in and but yeah they were they were really impressed with him that made me feel good um you know and like when i saw him on the front page of the bdn and i'm just like oh man like this is great you know what i mean like that was me living you know that was that was me living my success you know yeah so it's just awesome. Now that you have this forum um, to talk um, to the people listening today, what do you want to say um, to main communities and employers? Um, what do you want them to know about justice impacted people? And um, how can community members and organizations help? The biggest thing that I can say to potential employers is that second chances matter. You know, third chances matter to, you know, to, to one individual because you never know when you're going to get that individual. Um, you're going to give them a chance of a lifetime and they're going to take it and run with it. Um, just from my experience, you know, EMDC was that job for me. Um, you know, they gave me a chance and I took it and ran with it. And, you know, I made, you know, I'm making a career out of it. I strongly encourage and, you know, just throw out there that, you know, second chance, you know, like I support second chance employment. Um I'm all for, you know, the person getting out of prison and completely changing their life, given that they've shown that, you know, they, they, they can and that they're, they're willing to, you know, reenter the community and become a productive member of it. For anyone willing to invest in themselves and put the work in, absolutely a career, um, you know, a meaningful career and meaningful employment is possible. Dan, I know that stigma is a huge issue for us when we return home from prison. How has stigma affected you in your employment once returning? Not everybody's ready to believe, you know, in second chances. Not everybody's willing to give any, you know, somebody a second chance. You know, it's like there, it's few and far between. Like, I can tell you right now, even on, you know, within the past, before I got my job at EMDC, I had applied to four or five different places, including a place that I had worked, you know, at, uh, before, and that was Dennis Paper and Food Service. And like, I was really expecting to get that job. And you know, they they called me and said that HR shut it down. You know, they were just like, uh, you've you've been in too much trouble. So there was a lot of times I was turned away, and it's easy to get, you know, suckered into that like poor me like oh I can't get a job so you know screw it and like let's just go back to you know this this way of life and you know it, it's just you, you got to keep on believing because it will happen 
I think another one too was, uh, you know, when I was, I was homeless due to my, uh, due to my addiction, you know, I was living out on the streets. I was completely kicked out of every single shelter here in Bangor and all my previous employers would drive by and they would like, you know, make fun of me and just be like, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're worthless now, like look at you. And it made it really tough to, you know, like these are, these are the people that I was, that I was used to working with go back and work there and like subject myself to all these, you know, humiliating statements like, Oh, you're freaking homeless. Like, Oh, you were stealing from Walmart. Like, Oh, you, you, you know, you're a drug addict and uh, absolutely not. Like you said, it was heartbreaking to listen to you talk about the guys that the people that you formerly worked with would go by and, uh, you know, see you and harass you um, at your lowest point. Um, that, that That's heartbreaking. So, we're just we're trying to change that image um, of of you know people like us, right? It really drove home what I wanted to become. You know what I mean? Like these were, you know, these are these are roofers. Like that's what they do. You know what I mean? They're you know these are these are guys that are you know getting hammered and doing drugs all day. And I know that because mm-hmm. I used to do it with them. Yeah. And you know yeah. what I mean? And that's just that, that's that's how they are that's you know who they were and that's you know what i mean and it it bothered me because i gave them so much you know time and effort like when i took to roofing like i really learned the trade and i became really proficient at it and you know what i mean it was like a brotherhood of people that i worked with where it's like we all leaned on each other and um you know like when i got fired from that job because i was just i was too strung out it was just kind of like they had forgot I ever existed and all the work that I had done and all the times we'd stayed for, you know, 14, 15, 16 hour days out in the hot sun, putting roofs together. And you know what I mean? It just didn't count for anything. And right. it really drove home. Like I want to do something different, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I know more, you know, better than anybody. I know the challenges we face when we reenter back into society. I'm glad that you found something to do that at least means something to you and, you know, is kind of helping people move forward rather than, you know, regress into, uh, you know, old patterns. Oh, either that or die. To me, finding meaningful employment this time was just, it was either that or die, you know, for anyone willing to invest in themselves and put the work in absolutely a career. Um, you know, a meaningful career and meaningful employment is possible. Reentry is going to be hard. Uh, you know, it's going to be hard no matter what the work you did on yourself. And just to, you know, you know, stick with it and, you know, be and, and show perseverance. Great. Thanks, Dan. I really appreciate you for sharing your experience and your insight into the possibilities and the challenges of uh, people returning from prison and, you know, returning to the job market after their incarceration. In coming shows, we'll begin to explore public safety, prison education programs, and the experiences and struggles of returning citizens to create meaningful and productive lives. Next week, please join Representative Charlotte Warren and Zoe Bocas on Justice Radio to learn about the upcoming Maine 131st legislative session and what can be done to redefine and reimagine equity, restoration, and justice through legislative action. 
Be sure to visit the Justice Radio Show page on WMPG.org for archived episodes aired on WMPG and WERU. And a big thank you to Samuel James for his gift of music that opens and closes each episode in our series.